Oh, yes, sir. That's my baby. No, sir. I don't mean maybe. Oh, yes, sir. That's my baby now. Oh, by the way. Blah, da, da, da. We have a note here that says, uh, Mr. Shepard, I was disappointed to see you both on television and at the New Hope automobile show. I expected to see a sensitive, vibrant, Hamlet-type person. Instead, you really are walking around slop. Signed, an ex-listener. Well, that's the way it goes. Yes, sir, that's my baby. Truth always hurts people. I keep telling them what I am. I keep maintaining loudly what I am. But truth is always a bitter pill. A bitter pill. So, friend, let's stick around. This is the walking around slob hour. And I will hear, be here for the next 45 minutes walking around and being a slob. So bring it up there. And we salute all the rest of you who are in that same predicament. That's it. You know, I hate to tell you the truth, but do you know that... that uh, Historical evidence points to the fact, and it is a fact, that the real Hamlet about which the play was written, you know, there was a real Hamlet, you know. The real Hamlet was a short, stout gentleman. He really was. I'm not kidding. He was a short, stout gentleman of dark hair, and uh, uh, there is no evidence to prove that he looks anything like Leslie Howard. There's no evidence to prove that he had bore any relationship to John Barrymore, even in his cups. There is no evidence to prove that he even is 17 light years away from Richard Burton. Reality is a bitter, bitter evil pill. A bitter, speaking of uh, bitter evil pills, if I get another letter from another film company that begins, Mr. Shepard, you are in, invited to enjoy the pre-showing of a rollicking comedy about the amorous misadventures of a London Lothario, I'll flow up. There have been at least 4,500 pictures starring the amorous misadventures of a London Lothario, and they all are played by somebody named Michael Caine, who does not look capable of one amorous misadventure. Huh? Oh, I'm not saying he's a good actor. Action is very different from reality, friend. Would you please bring on my salute to that cover, that premise? <laughs> yes, I think I'll blow up. Excuse me while I do that. I'll be right back in a minute. The amorous misadventures of a London Lothario. Indeed. He weighs 87 pounds and his stocking feet soaking wet. Because <laughs> it's part of the fantasy world of our day, you know. That's all right. That's known as the uh, Woody Allen syndrome. Well, if you can't make it at the cocktail parties, create a movie and write a script. And you can do it if it's part of the play, right? That's it. Oh, yes, indeed. I'm glad you brought that piece of music with you there, friend. You reset that because we have a little note here speaking of reality. 
It says, in a small, this little note we got from AP, the United Press, Associated Press, INS, all the rest of them, in a small Tanganyikan village, several natives were staging an anti-American parade, which, as you know, is the general folk celebration of the mid-20th century. That's a general folk celebration, just all-purpose. Uh, they were staging an anti-American parade, complete with a brass band. Since the villagers were taught by the American missionaries for many years, the only song they knew was the Stars and Stripes Forever, which they played over and over again. <laughs> you know, we are a nutty country, I'll tell you, you know. We are, we're, 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 we're uh, I, I don't know how to express it, uh, you know, except to say that we're, uh, how do you see the, the overall, Amer just picture in your mind, you know, what America, the American, and when you see America, what do you, what do you think of Americans as? I mean, no, no, I'm, uh, aside from all cliches, now, when you think of the Englishman, who do you think of? What do you think of? How do you see an Englishman? When you see a Frenchman, what do you think of a Frenchman? How do you think of him? When I say American, what do you see in your mind? Now, don't be so quick to, to answer. No, no. I mean, really. Don't be so quick. Well, one thing we are, we're, we're sort of this big, friendly, old, uh, kind of stupid guy, you see. Well, now, wait a minute now. Everybody is stupid. It is my premise that everybody in the world is stupid, only in different ways. That the various, uh, it is, it is, it is one of the one of the most wonderful beliefs that Americans have today, and I, and in, in, incidentally, I think is back of many of our problems is the belief on both the intellectual level and the various other levels that America is the only country that's stupid. This is questionable. <laughs> I've been around too much. That. Uh, that uh, I can see the American. One thing about him, though, he, he's stupid. He's a well-meaning guy, and he thinks the best of everybody. He really does. He absolutely thinks the best of everybody, and he carries way down deep in his heart the cherished belief that everybody is good, basically given a chance. Oh yeah, this is a this is a cherished American belief. Uh, I heard a guy the other day, some guy from some boys club, it says, uh, he started out and saying, we believe that there is no such thing as a bad boy. Oh, only Americans would believe that. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I can see poor old Freud turning blue at that one. But, uh, and every anthropologist in the world saying, what? What do you mean? You know, that's like saying that, there is, uh, that every young lion is a good lion. Just give him a couple of years, fella, and he'll just rip the hocks right off of your hands. You know, watch out. Because, <laughs> you know, he's a lion, he's a lion. It's not that he got in bad company. You know, it's not that he hung around with the wrong crowd in front of the gas station. It's that he is a lion, and lions are lions are lions. What was it that Gertrude Stein said? A rose is a rose? It's a rose. It's a rose. It's quite true. And uh, ne'er the twain shall meet. And as the dawn breaks like thunder... Over Jersey across the way? Or is it uh, over uh, Queens across the way? Which way does the sun come up here in this cockamamie city? I don't know, you know. Or does Lindsay turn it on every morning? Very hard to tell. So would you please salute that concept? 
Yes, sir. We're going to salute the Tanganyikan natives tonight. And I think we ought to send them a selection of Richard Rogers and uh, perhaps a few little Cole Porter tunes. And maybe Deutsches over Alice. Send them a few things there so they can play it on their horns. Got it? There we go. Uh, would you give me a little romantic music, please, in there? Robert, please. I need a little romantic music. Hey, no, no, don't cue it up on the air. That's They're having enough trouble out there. Just let it go. There it go. Yeah, cha-ching. That's good. No, that's good. That's perfect. That's all right. That's for very romantic. Anybody who can blow a kazoo like that is a romantic person. Bring it up. That's a... Excellent. Dear Mr. Shepard, you have often commented upon the dehumanization of life in today's society. And uh, we need this music behind us because this is music that stands symbolically for the great parade of fat-headed civilization marching towards whatever the hell it's marching towards. Bring it up. Dear Mr. Shepard, you have often commented upon the dehumanization of life in today's society. And I now offer for your consideration that the void left by the demise of human preeminence is being rapidly filled by the elevation of dogs to the status of a new privileged class. There they go, Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse. You know, I have a theory, hold it there, I have a theory that one of the reasons why we're getting so hung on dogs in our society is because actually some of the great stars of the past in the movies have been animal types. And most of us were influenced far more by the movies when we were kids than we were influenced by Miss Shields in the second grade. With their poor little, uh, you know, uh, their little uh, stories about how the Civil War was fought and the economic problems that Lincoln had to face in the Reconstruction period and how President, uh, whatever his name was, who, uh, you know, on and on and on. I think we were really influenced by the stuff we saw. For example, my favorite movie star when I was a kid are you ready? My favorite movie star was not Johnny Weissmuller. My favorite movie star was not uh, Tom Steele or Tim Holt. My favorite movie star was not uh, Cary Grant or Gary Cooper. My favorite movie star... Would you please ready that uh, honking music there for me? My favorite movie star was... Bring it up. Excellent. Every time he would come on the screen... I'm serious, I'm telling you. I would start rolling on the floor, yelling and hollering among all the candy wrappers and the gum, among all the butt ends of Baby Ruth candy bars, and screaming and hollering, you know, kicking the seats and yelling. And there was another kid in the neighborhood, Bruner. He also was hung on the every move, the every nuance, the delicate performances of this fantastic movie star. Bring it up. And you know, what really confused us was that midway, I'm going to ask you a question, midway in his career, for absolutely no reason that we could tell, he changed his name. Just like that. Changed his name. For a while, confusion reigned in the Orpheum Theater, you know? It's like all of you people, you know, you might be uh, Michael Caine fans, which is hard to believe. You might be Michael Caine fans, and tomorrow he calls himself Gaunt Rockwell. And he just insists he's not Michael Caine anymore. He's going, well, what are you going to do? You know, you're really confused. You know what he's pulling on you. Uh, 
I might point out that this particular player, this thespian, was a featured player in the cast that he always appeared in. But in a subtle way, his very presence dominated the entire script. At least to we who were sensitive and appreciated what he was trying to say for all of us. Hey, wait a minute, that's a little too loud now. What's the matter? It's overloading here on me here. Yeah, it is. It is. My little my amplifier. There it is. Come on, hold it there. That's just getting a little Jews heart practice in here. Got a concert next week. Uh, I, I, uh... What? Who what? Who what? Oh, 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 station break time. Oh, this is WOR here. AM only, friends. WOR. AM only. Absolutely old, static-filled, old distortion-filled AM, and that's us. AM only here in New York City. And while we're on the, uh... What was that? What are you talking about? Who was the movie star? Look, I'm not going to tell you. Don't you understand that if, 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 you, if you start revealing the, the, the secrets of your soul, you're telling far too much about yourself? You can't. Really, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is my own business. The back of the hand to you and a commercial right in the ear. There's only one champagne of bottled beer, sparkling, flavorful, distinctive, Miller Highlight. Brewed from a century-old recipe, Miller Highlight has a rich heritage and tradition, a bright, clear taste, unequaled, unquestioned, unchanging, available on tap, in cans, and in familiar crystal clear bottles. Miller High Life is always sparkling, flavorful, distinctive. Enjoy Miller High Life yourself. Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. Yes, Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. You want to know? Well, you're just going to have to hang by your thumbs there as old. Bob and Ray used to say, let's see, we got Rover here. Uh, I think a little of that honk and hairy music would help my Rover commercial here. Hey, come on, bring it. <laughs> yes. yes, you cannot deny, friends, that there is a sense of vibrant life about these guys honking and yelling under the street corner, blowing their tin horns. And you, too, will be blessed with a vibrant sense of life the minute you step in to your magnificent Rover 2000 TC. One of the greatest automobiles ever built by the poor, palsied hand of man. It will probably eventually stand as one of the great triumphs of this century. It's the Rover 2000 TC, a magnificent auto car, and one of the few automobiles fit for a sensitive, beautiful person such as yourself. 
So would you please send me a card here to Rover, and we'll send you pictures of your next fantastic love. The Rover 2000 TC. I can't tell you what the TC stands for. But our loss, really. We are living in a rotten, puritanical, prudish society. One of the great canards. I'm serious. Can I? Can I? Uh, can I make a statement here that's going to make it make a lot of hippies mad? That is one of the great canards. One of the great non-truisms of all time. That America is a puritanical, prudish society. I'll tell you, there is more sex. There is more. There is more plain, ordinary, dirty movies. There is more plain, ordinary, dirty pictures and dirty books going around. And, you know, you can buy them in a newsstand than any place in the world. And yet, the the uh, the poor sag, the guys like Paul Krasner, they still think we're living in a puritanical society. Fascinating. Why, I know a half a dozen guys that are saying that right now, if they said that very same thing in France, or their very same act in France would be bundled off to a pokey in ten seconds. And that's supposed to be a libertine society. You know? <laughs> I'll never forget, you know, one of the... Well, yeah, a lot of guys' whole act is built on creating uh, the the paper tiger that the Chinese communists always talk about. They build this fantastic paper tiger. And like all paper tigers, it has a tiny grain of reality about it because it looks like a tiger. And they build this fantastic paper tiger, and then they proceed to demolish it nightly in front of nightclub audiences, bravely, uh, making $360,000 a year doing it. And, yeah, that's the truth. Uh, in fact, I, I, I know a half dozen papers who are continually carrying on what they call their fight against uh, purient, uh, purient, 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 uh, prudish, uh, uh, puritanical mores, and they're carrying it on constantly, you see. I know if they stop some of these <laughs> In fact, 87 million people read it, applaud it, you know. And you wonder where this prudishness is, you know. I suspect that what they keep thinking about is the 19th century. Just like uh, most of our thinking, I suspect, is a good 100 years behind. In the mass, I'm talking about on total mass, that most Englishmen think of Americans as late 19th century guys wearing big hats, walking around and yelling and hollering with wide ties, and a kind of a, a Teddy Roosevelt thing, you know? Bully! By George, bully! And I say carry a big stick! And by George, there's no place at all like America! Da, 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 da. That's what they think, really. I'm not denying that there aren't a few of them still around. There are always a few dinosaurs in any given society. But by and large, they don't have any relationship to the vast mass of Americans. Not at all any more than the average American thinks of an Englishman as a tall, distinguished-looking, graying gentleman whose ancestors fought on the field at Hastings and who belongs to this 345-year-old English club and they eat nothing but ewes blood pudding and, and, uh, and fried wren's teeth. And, and, yeah, and they drink ancient port, you know, and sit around and, and talk about Richard the Lionhunter. Oh, my God, sir. Whack. <laughs> sure, there are a few of those guys still around, I'm sure. But I don't think they bear much relationship to the Beatles. Not at all. They don't bear... <laughs> not at all. 
And so, so uh, the thinking is always about a couple hundred years behind. And so I suspect that Hugh Hefner is still fighting his Aunt Mildred, or his Aunt Agatha, who was born late in the 1880s. And he still thinks that she controls the world, you know. And so he writes endless things about these terrible periods. <laughs> oh, wow, you know, it just doesn't exist. But uh, paper tigers are the best kind to fight, actually. Really, because a paper tiger is the kind of tiger that everybody thinks is the real tiger. But if you ever get in the woods and get involved with real tigers, uh, that's not so easy. And fighting real tigers, by the way, doesn't really amount to much in the way of money either. You don't you don't earn much of a living. You generally lose a foot, if not your whole you know your whole being, uh, because that's the way tigers are. But you know, speaking of paper tigers, here we. Uh, we better put on a couple of these. Do you have, have any, uh, a little more of that hairy music there, Charlie, in there? A little more hairy music. Bring it on there. Come on. This is a very special recording, ladies and gentlemen, made by a new special electrical medical technique. You are listening to the soul music of a man who has just popped a regal crown sour lemon into his gut. You notice the light. You notice the vibrant vitality. Do you notice also the overlaying and the underscored vein of sourness? A kind of uh, out-of-the-side-of-the-mouth bitterness, yet still lyrical. Ah, how true of the regal crown, sour lemon, sour grape, sour apple, sour whoopies. And so if you, too, would like to have soul music coursing through your veins that sounds a little like this... I suggest you walk right up to that candy counter and say, Regal Crown, sour lemon, and don't give me any substitutes, Jack, or you're going to get a fistful of mouth or a mouthful of fist. <laughs> hey, uh, that's very nice. For just a dime, you can have all that fun. Oh, speaking of fun and dimes, uh, tomorrow night we will be at the limelight in full fettle. And uh, I use that word very advisedly. Because tomorrow night, I'm bringing my own fettle band down. Uh, for years and years now, I have practiced this in secret and have once in a while made a few brief public appearances playing the fettle. And tomorrow night, I've gotten uh, the approval of the union, the whole thing. We can, do, we can get away with it. The police have said it's okay. And tomorrow night, I will appear on the stage at the limelight and within the first half hour, will perform on the B-flat fettle, which... Uh, is a rare instrument, not often heard, not often seen today in public. And incidentally, I will perform on it a cappella. Uh, this instrument must be performed in with bare feet uh, because of the grounding, the electrical, you know, the whole business. Uh, uh, speaking of that, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. If you want to come down, I'll be down there, you know. I'll do my whole thing. I got the tap dance, the whole bit going. So tomorrow night at 10.30 to midnight, here on WOR, the happy station. <laughs> uh, it'll be Gene Shepherd time at the limelight, and we'd love to have you down there. All right, bring it up. That's it. Just one. Hey, all right, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. You know, speaking, uh, oh, I have to finish this letter here from this guy because it uh, it's kind of significant. This guy says here, dear Mr. Shepherd, he says, perusal of the New York telephone directory. He is making this, I think, is a somewhat interesting document because it was written by a man who is a psychologist. 
Uh, he is, uh, he's involved, of course, in the problems of the mind. He's involved in the problems of mankind bumping heads against fellow mankind. And he writes about the dogs. And he says, perusal of the New York telephone directory will support my observation that the dog is emerging as one of the great minority classes. For example, among the services offered to dogs in the yellow pages are the following. Dog Problem Center. I kind of like the Dog Problem Center. <laughs> is, there a, is there a parallel people problem center? <laughs> anyway, it says Dog Problem Center, Canine Cemetery, Canine Clothiers. That's got a nice ring to it. Canine College. I wonder whether they give uh, advanced degrees down there. Is this a liberal arts school? Or is it some kind of a trade school? Canine Colleges. Canine Etiquette Academy. Dog Hospital. And uh, here's, here's my favorite. Dog Bath Club. Can't you see these slobs sitting around, you know, in their, in their deck chairs, wearing their cabana suits? You know, smoking their cigarettes with the long gold holder, you know. Sitting there flashing their diner's club cards. Dog bath club and final poodle boutique. Now this psychologist goes on to say, uh, uh, would you prepare me a little romantic music? No, 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 not, not the honking. A little romantic music. Yeah, that's right. Uh -huh. yeah, that's a Spanish guitar in there. And as you know, Spanish guitars all sound alike. It doesn't make any difference what cut you play. They're like Polish accordions. You just slice them anywhere, and you get a Polish accordion. Makes no difference. They're like uh, Italian concertinas. Slice them anywhere, and you get Dick Contina. But his teeth going, playing Chira Chira Bim, or Chira Bira Bim, or Bira Bira Chim, or the Merchant of Venice. Let's see. Yeah, all right, there we go. Friends, for those of you who are concerned with the future of our poor, struggling little group, mankind, I would like to report the findings of one psychologist. He says, it is apparent that there now exists a new dominant minority. You are aware that there are several types of minority, don't you? There is the dominant, yes, there is the quiescent, and then there is the recessive minority. How many of you know that there are different types of minority in sociological terms? Well, a dominant minority is a rampant one that's on top of the catbird seat. Ah, it is apparent that there now exists a new dominant minority availing itself of all the specialists listed above. Today's dog can be assured of presenting to the world a well-groomed, attired, psychologized, psychoanalyzed, and properly nourished appearance. Its manners and education will be impeccable, beyond reproach. Free of the stigma of offending, it will emerge from its bath and pedicure, self-confident to the day of its final obsequy. It can even enjoy peace of mind in the event of its owner's predeceasing it, since generous provision in its owner's will these days is very commonplace. Here, we psychologists use the word owner in the absence of a more precise characterization, which will eventually, undoubtedly, appear since it now seems to be a transfer of roles. Uh, a more precise definition of a human function has not yet emerged from sociological research. Finally, and this is important, as so often occurs in the emergence of newly superior classes of society, observance of the old laws of conduct 
which are still operative upon the mass of that society are waived in the class of the new royalty. For example, dogs are permitted to uh, relieve themselves upon the sidewalks, engage in public sexual promiscuity, expose their privy parts without any attempt at decent covering, jaywalk, and create other public nuisances which clearly demonstrate their inevitable contempt for and their superior attitude toward the society from which they have emerged. <laughs> you know, uh, there's more in this piece than meets the eye. Land full of a blowing of bubbles. Did I ever tell you? Now, I, I, I don't know whether I ought to save this for the... Oh, you want to know the name of that movie star? Are you still bugged by that? Well, I'll tell you, I'm still bugged by it, too, because I, I must say, once in a while, when I, when I turn on the TV set inadvertently, uh, by mistake, sometimes I'll brush up against it and the damn thing turns on, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and uh, yeah, oh, yeah, like the time I know about this guy that uh, inadvertently turned on his electric can opener. And the thing ran for two days before he could figure out how to turn it off. It just kept grinding out, and, you know, it kept making a noise, a terrible noise. It's got one of those automatic kind. It kept making a grinding sound, and the only time it was quiet was when he'd feed it a can. And so he opened everything in the house, trying to keep it quiet. He figured it would stop, you know, automatic stop. It just kept grinding away there. And that's the way these mechanical contrivances are. They are beginning to emerge into a life of their own. And my TV set keeps turning on once in a while. It, you know, this show it wants to see, and it uh, keeps switching off and on. And what's worse is that a lot of shows I want to see, it doesn't want to see. And it protests when I'm watching them, like snow comes down or flops over sideways, or it hums. It's terrible listening to Hamlet in the middle of a fantastic intermodulation hum. And it never does it when it's watching a crummy commercial. I think my TV set is a slob actually likes crummy stuff, and it's much better on it. I'll tell you, a bad movie comes through my television set like a monitor. So clear. I can't understand it. I mean, a rotten movie. It may have been 40 years ago. A bad, rotten movie that was made, uh, you know, 40 years ago. Even with rotten film, it comes through good. A good movie, I'll tell you, they make a movie in 1965, and they put it on my TV set. That You know, it's a good one. I want to sit and watch it. It looks like a 1923 movie that was made in silent. And they've dubbed the film, you know, in Italian from the original Greek. Then they redubbed it into English by seven expatriate Yugoslavians. And it comes through. And <laughs> a terrible sight. So once in a while it turns on. But I'll tell you one of the great moments of my life is when this TV set turns on. And there is my hero. You know, you never really quite forget those things when you're, you're from the time you were a kid. Uh, when you are really influenced by something, genuinely, now I don't mean you just looked at something or you enjoyed something, but I mean influenced by something. You are never totally free of it. Do you agree with me, Bob? Never. And so when this guy shows up on the screen, I, I use the term loosely there in that case, guy, when, when he shows up on the screen, I have to sit down and watch it. His, his character is so beautifully realized. The consistency of his attitude and the uh, the somewhat caustic, the caustic acerbic wit that he shows, the uh, kind of uh, snotty way that he walks across the screen, all of this, you know, I watch this, you know, I watch him, and I realize, of course, that he, he came out of a period and a time in American movie making when the truth was quite common. 
I mean, you know, it was just, they just put it on. They didn't know it was the truth. They just did it. You know, that's the way it seemed to be. And he comes there, and he comes across the screen. He yells and hollers. And what I am always sorry about, to my knowledge, he never made a feature picture. In fact, to my knowledge, he never made a picture over two reels in length. He is not a two-reel comedy performer, please. This is not a comic actor at all. Uh, some people may have thought so. He was not. Any sense of the word. And he never appeared in, in, in any... And uh, later in his career, he appeared in color. Uh, I remember seeing some great color two-reelers of him. Uh, sadly enough, though, his color never really showed well on, in color. He, because, yeah, he, he just didn't have any... He, the, the, he was not adapted to the color medium very well. And that, I think, is what eventually caused the demise. I, I doubt whether... You know, you always hear about actors who didn't make it because of sound coming in. We didn't make it because color came in. And uh, who? What doesn't matter now? It's too late, you know. He's gone. I don't want to dredge up old coals. What's the use, you know? Why pick at old scabs, huh? It's no use. I'll see him myself. I'll enjoy it myself. Well, he appeared... Now, now I'll tell you, he appeared always in... Generally, not always, but generally in movies featuring a far overrated and far more famous performer. That's a clue. That is a clue. Interested in that? Now remember now, what was the other clue about him? He changed names in the middle of his career. And at the very peak of his career. He didn't change his name because he wasn't making it. No, no, not at all. He was absolutely... He was a, in fact, in my neighborhood, he was on every kid's tongue. <laughs> when he changed his name. Who? Well, it doesn't matter who. I have no idea who Elmer Fudd is. I have no idea, baby. It is not Elmer Fudd. I don't know who that is. And I wish you would keep your little witticisms to yourself. I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to maintain some form of decorum here on this Friday night effort. Now, what was the name of that movie star? Well, now, I'm not just casually bringing this up. I know, you know, a lot of people get very worried. I get letters from people all the time who say, Shepard, you are fantastic when you're serious. Oh, gee whiz, why don't you be serious like the night you talked about the, uh, the, 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 the client of the human soul when dealing with the fantastic forces over which it has no control. Well, I am being dead serious tonight. And in fact, quite often, a man who seems to be very facetious and who is laughing about things is at its most serious. Uh, it is a sad thing when you begin to realize that many orators, when they approach that great moment of their oratory, when they break into tears and they say, and I stand before you, a man who says that the idealism of the human soul is today being crushed by the forces of evil as represented by those men in the back room who are opposing my nomination. We, who are part of this great new wave of good, which will... He is at his most facetious when he is saying that. Oh, yeah, I've, I've stood backstage, and many of these orators, when they've come off stage, they turn to me and say, how, how is that bit there about the uh, evil and the good and the forces and uh, about the thing about the guys in the back room? How'd that go over, huh? How, how, did, you, did you see the audience? Did you see whether or not... How, how are they digging it, huh? And I realized, of course, he's at his most facetious. Uh, that that uh, uh, Quite often when a man is laughing, he is attempting to cover up old wounds, friends. He is attempting to assuage old burns. He's attempting to rise above 
old reefs upon which he has dragged his keel open and out, upon which he has been stuck. And I can only say to you, when I see this old movie star appear, I recognize that there must be millions of other Americans who were also hung on this guy's every appearance. And they don't know it. Maybe it, it's subconscious now. But that has led to the emergence of the dog as a dominant character in our society. The fantastic worship of the dog. And I, here as a practicing lay kitchen garden, uh, kitchen variety psychologist, I am going to coin a word, a phrase, that is based on my former idol. Are you ready for it? Would you give me a little love, please? Would you give me a little, uh, uh, that's right, a little salute music. That's it. That's very good. <laughs> that's salute music. Well, that's excellent. And now I coin a phrase. You have noticed everywhere, you have noticed people becoming more and more animal fetishists. More and more people worship at the feet of some crummy little mangy cur. More and more people are beginning to worship at the feet of cats various other type of four-footed characters. You notice that? More and more, they are laying their fortunes, their heart, their soul before these, these uh, non-human creatures. I now designate this the Pluto Pup Syndrome. All right, now, that's the name of the character. That Did, did you ever hear of Pluto Pup? What was his earlier name? You mean I'm the only one who knows that he changed names in mid-career and caused a great dislocation among many people? He had two names. The first one was Pluto Pup, and the other one was... No, not Pluto, no. The first, no, he was called Pluto. That was his, 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 his new name. What was his earlier name? All right, now why did he change this? And whose movies did he appear in? Who was always the star of the movies that he was just a supernumerary in? <laughs> well, at one point... Well, he played in a lot of pictures, actually. Yes, that's quite true. He was always running around in Mickey Mouse pictures. But he also took a lot of guff from Donald Duck, too. You're doggone right. Talking about... Now, there, there, is a, uh, there is, I think, an underrated performer. I will not say that Donald Duck was overrated. I think that Donald Duck... Donald Duck's hair-trigger temper... Donald Duck's total selfishness. Donald Duck's total self-involvement. Donald Duck's maniacal, savage sadism. Donald Duck, oh yeah, do you remember Donald Duck when he was... When Donald Duck was really bugged? Well, Donald Duck was, believe me, I suspect, the poetic forerunner to Holden Caulfield. He was the poetic forerunner to Sebastian Dangerfield, who appeared in later... Uh, artworks of a similar nature. I believe this very strong. I think Donald Duck. I think Donald Duck was an early Allen Ginsberg, for that matter. Yeah, I think they. I think there was a there was an influence, and, that, and I, I mean it seriously. I think that's why Donald Duck became so big. Donald Duck was a, uh, he was a, he was a, he was a character who created that that uproar. Now, on the other hand, Pluto was another story entirely. Pluto was always put upon. You remember Pluto in his in his uh, greatest roles? I remember, yeah, I remember Pluto in one of the great roles that he performed 
It seems that he was he was sleeping. I'll never forget this scene. He was sleeping in his doghouse. Did you notice that Pluto slept in a doghouse, whereas Mickey lived in a house? That's very significant. Mickey lived in a real house. Yeah, he had pictures on the walls. He went with this chick named Minnie. Uh, well, it was, a, it was a mouse, actually, but she had lady shoes on. Remember those little lady shoes she'd run around with? And she lived in a house, too. Only Pluto lived in a doghouse. And I remember one night Pluto is in his little doghouse, and there was a moon shining over it. And Pluto is lying there, and the scene opened, and he's going... Do you remember how they used to snore in cartoons? They snored very graphically, you know... You know, the doghouse is jiggling and Z's are coming out. You know, the whole thing. And, uh, he's lying there, see. When you see tiptoeing through the fence, there was a home fence, you see tiptoeing through the fence, came this maniacal, one-eyed, one-eyed burglar. Well, I, I, I beg to point out to you, what was the burglar? I would like to ask you a question, philosophical. The burglar was another dog. The burglar was a bulldog. You remember that bulldog with the jowls? He came tiptoeing through. He had a patch over his eye. Well, he tiptoes right past Pluto. It was a great dramatic moment. I mean, it, it had it had uh, it had tremendous uh, tension for all of us. We're all sitting there, and the kids are all like, "Hey, Pluto, Pluto, wake up, Pluto!" And this big slob is tiptoeing, and you can see he's a burglar because he wore a cap. All burglars, all burglars wore caps uh, in that day and age. And they generally wore eye patches. They had lost an eye somewhere. And he goes tiptoeing past, and poor old Pluto is asleep. How symbolic. How symbolic. In fact, Pluto was symbolic of the world in which he lived. In fact, our late president even wrote a book called While England Slept. And this movie came out during that period, and Pluto was sound asleep. While danger tiptoed by, wearing a cap and wearing an eye patch. And then Pluto, and this is the saddest moment of all, Pluto woke up, see, he heard a noise. He woke up and he looked out and he sees this big fat dog and he goes, where are you going? What are you doing? And the big dog turned around and says, I have come to fix the piano. It's two o'clock in the morning. He's wearing an eye patch and he's carrying burglary tools. He says, I have come to fix the piano. And Pluto says, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. I'm sorry I bothered you, and went back to sleep. How symbolic. Poor Pluto. No wonder he never made it. Because Pluto was like all of us. And we never make it. No, no. Mickey makes it. He lives in the house. Minnie makes it. She lives in the house. The burglar made it. All Pluto did was sleep with the Z's coming out. And once in a while, cats would chase him. And occasionally, a safe would fall on him. But Pluto never made it. And I will award you the brass figligy with bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me his earlier name. Oh, and why do I think it's important? Well, because now we feel a sense of guilt, like we feel for other minority groups. We feel a sense of guilt, and now we are giving the world to Pluto Pop. The whole world! And he can go on and on. Long live Pluto. What was his name? Come on. His earlier name? See you tomorrow at the limelight, fool.